Well, how you doing with that point system, getting into heaven based on what you do versus what he has already done? Man, it's all the difference in the world. My name is David Vaughn. Welcome to Whitewater Cross. We're doing this thing called Religion Stinks. And I remember it well. It was my seventh grade literature class. We were reading American short stories. Now, I thought that was Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys. That, that might date me a little bit. But what we're actually reading is Edgar Allan Poe's The Tell Tale Heart. Oh, my. That chilling story was creepy then. It's creepy now. I listened to it again several times on audio. You ought to check it out sometime. If you don't know Poe, you don't know. That was pretty good. That wasn't even in my notes. That was pretty good. But what Edgar Allan Poe wrote about was the paralyzing human experience that we all share in common in this room. Whether you're here for the first time, whether you've been here many times, it's the human experience of guilt. And some of us are no stranger to guilt. We carry it around like a heavy load every day of our life, this luggage, this baggage of guilt. And we also carry guilt's insidious cousin, shame. There is a difference I want to unpack today. Let me ask a question. How many of y'all feel guilty about something in this room right now? How many of y'all feel guilty about something? Raise your hand. Some of y'all should feel guilty because you didn't even raise your hand. <laughs> I polled uh, my small group, and everybody ought to have a small group. I polled my small group, and I said, what do people feel guilty about in the church like you and other people? Here's what they said. I made a list. People feel guilty about not giving or tithing. You should feel guilty about that. No, I'm no, sorry. That, People feel guilty about slacking and sleeping in on Sunday. Not you, but other people that are not here. Can you say Thursday night worship? That's all I'm saying. Uh, people feel guilty about current behavior. I'm not as good a Christian as other people or what other people think I am. I feel guilt from attending a Protestant church. I feel guilt, some of y'all understand that. I feel guilty about speaking up before thinking or not speaking up or defending God when someone makes fun of me or others for believing in God or going to church. I feel guilty about time spent with family, lack of it. So there's parental guilt, there's mommy guilt, as they described it. I feel guilty sometimes about being blessed about what I have and others don't have as much. There's also white guilt, survivor's guilt, eating guilt, and exercise guilt. Do you wanna be in my small group? I mean, this is like a good, good stuff. This is just my group. This is just me. I'm guessing it's a lot of you in this room. Everybody here feels guilty about something. Now, sometimes this guilt is good. It's healthy. It's from God. We feel guilty because we are. <laughs> We're living like in a society where nobody seems to feel guilty about anything anymore for any reason. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow or godly guilt brings repentance, change of mind, change of heart, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow or worldly guilt brings death. What's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Paul said godly sorrow is that you're guilty because you did it and you don't want to go back. You ha it leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow is I just feel bad because I got caught. There's a big difference. Maybe you've heard of the IRS conscience fund. Have you heard of this? It is one of three gift funds actually maintained by the United States Department of the Treasury. It's used for voluntary contributions from people who have stolen or defrauded the U.S. government. 
I know my church. Some of y'all have probably already sent in money to this. The fund was created in 1811. It received $5 during its first year, but $5.7 million during its first 175 years. Donations to the Conscience Fund vary in size and reason. There was a nine-cent donation made from a person from Massachusetts who had reused a three-cent postage stamp and felt guilty about it. Somebody else said, three cents? Well, that's a whole other issue. Most gifts to the Conscience Fund are from anonymous donors. Others are forwarded by clergy, I found out, who have received deathbed confessions and therefore instructions to send money in. The sincerity of a donor's repentance can be uncertain, it said, as demonstrated by actual letter the IRS Conscience Fund received. Dear International Revenue Service, I've not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. Enclosed, find a cashier's check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I'm gonna send you the rest. <laughs> Sometimes guilt is a good thing. I don't know that they have worldly sorrow or godly sorrow about that. There is such a thing as proper good guilt. Can you say college admissions scandal? Oh, it has ruined the Hallmark Movie Channel. I'm just saying right now. So here's the bad news for all of you today, no matter if you're caught up in a scandal or not. We are far worse than we ever imagined. That's the bad news. We really are. Deep inside of us is a scandal waiting to happen. We're far worse than we imagined. But here's the good news. You're far more loved than you could ever dream. Bad enough that someone had to come and die for you, but good enough that he came to die for you. More often than not, though, this guilt of which I am describing is not what I would call good guilt, especially when it comes to religion historically. It is an unhealthy kind of guilt that most of us in this room feel guilty about because of the way in which we were raised. A couple of weeks ago in a sermon, I mentioned that Early on, maybe 30 years ago, I got a chance to play Pebble Beach on a Sunday morning. Y'all remember that message? And I felt guilty about it because you're supposed to be in church, even though I've been in church like millions of times. I got this wonderful card from a dear lady named Pat. She said, David, being married to a golfer for 48 years and seeing so many beautiful places, I feel pretty sure that God smiled every time you thanked him for the beauty of the Monterey Peninsula and Pebble Beach, even if, if, if it was on a Sunday. Oh, I don't feel guilty anymore. It was wonderful <laughs> until I happened to be in that place again. But see, there's a huge difference between healthy guilt and unhealthy shame. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Unhealthy toxic guilt or shame leads to all kinds of physical and spiritual problems. They have done studies that anxiety, depression, sleep problems, rage issues, uh, anger issues, all kinds of issues stem from us having an inability to process guilt correctly. And it creates, for some of us who grew up in a legalistic, religion, rules-based church, it creates this crazy cycle, if you don't process your guilt right, where you feel guilty about feeling guilty. It's a vicious cycle. I, 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 there was probably a stage, a season in my life, where if I didn't feel bad, I didn't feel good. Does this make sense to you? 
A lot of us don't feel good until we feel bad. That's another reason that religion stinks. Because anytime you leave with a burden of guilt that is never removed, you just come every week. And I think that's why people avoid church a lot of the times. Why would I come to that? I just feel guilty. And this unhealthy religious guilt can be conquered by a phrase I want and hope for you to memorize today. This will help you. Anybody in here that is struggling with guilt, healthy or unhealthy guilt or shame? Here it is. You can conquer guilt by what you, we remember and what we forget. What we remember and what we forget. We need to remember his grace and we need to forget our sin. Now most people, most Christians do just the opposite. We remember our sin and we forget his grace. But I am telling you to try to forget your sin, because that's what God does with your sin. Now, it's hard for humans to forget stuff. But listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. This is how God chooses to see you. I, even I, am he, he says, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So every time you sin and you keep asking for forgiveness for that sin, God is like up his hand and say, what are you talking about? I, I don't remember. Why are you remembering it? See, there's a person that wants to remember your sin. It's not God. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's the evil one. He loves to bring up the past in your life. That's why he's a, called the accuser of the brethren. Have you ever heard of a girl named Jill Price? Look her up online sometime. Jill has a condition where her brain automatically remembers every day of her life from age 14 on. Now imagine that. J Jill Price can instantly tell you what she did, what day of the week it was, any major events that took place. She can even tell you what the weather was that day. I saw her several TV interviews. For most of us, especially guys, <laughs> Our problem is remembering stuff. Would you agree? I mean, if I like remembered everything I knew, man, I'd be so smart. Some of you guys can't remember anything. Anniversary, birthday, oh yeah, it's my anniversary. By the way, I just saved some of your marriages today, right there. Most people, our problem is remembering, not Jill Price, her problem is forgetting. We tend to remember in our life a small amount of significant events or emotional experiences, that first kiss, that big game, the first time we had Skyline, all these really big moments. But unfortunately, we also remember as human beings our mistakes and highly embarrassing moments. And we, it, it just won't go away. It like lives in our memory and we carry that burden. <laughs> just full discretion, full disclosure here. I, I once asked a lady, I can't believe I did this. I once asked a lady at the church door when I was shaking hands, when her baby was due. Some of y'all know where it's going. <laughs> Only problem was she wasn't expecting. I will never do that again. Some of y'all could be like 12 months pregnant. And it's obvious. I will never say a word about it. I just think maybe you ate a lot of pizza. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Most of us forget 97% of what happened, but not Jill Price. 
She remembers everything. Now, that may seem like a gift to you, especially if you're like a contestant on Jeopardy, but there's a downside and there's a dark side to that. In her memoir, The Woman Who Can't Forget, here's how she put it. Imagine living a life like this. Imagine, she writes, being able to remember every fight you ever had with a friend, every time someone let you down, all the stupid mistakes you ever made, the meanest, most harmful things you've ever said to people, and those they have said to you, then imagine not being able to push them out of your mind no matter what or how hard you tried. She said, I became a prisoner, check this line out, I became a prisoner to my memory. You don't have to have the name Jill Price to be a prisoner to your memory. Well, I meet people all the time. They can't get over their past. They can't get past their past. And guilt, we sung about grace upon grace. Guilt upon guilt descends on them. Consciously or subconsciously, most of us are prisoners of our past. And even if we confess some, we still feel condemned. Many of you in this room, listen to me now, many of you in this room have been beating yourself up for years, sabotaging yourself, believing the lies that come from the enemy that you're no good, that you're guilty and that will never change. In, remember, you gotta forget that. Here's what I want you to remember. In sharp contrast to what the devil wants to remind you about, here's something that God wants to remind you about. Romans 8.1, this is a revolutionary book. In fact, if you've been reading How Good is Good Enough, you may have stumbled across this. Romans 8, verse 1. I want to read it slowly so we can remember it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. In other words, God's not judging you. There, 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 the rules, even though you broke them, there is no punishment from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. None. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Some of us have been defining ourselves for a long time by what we did wrong instead of us defining ourselves for what Jesus has done right. Somebody in this room, I'm talking to somebody, has been held hostage by a stupid decision, a sin, a scandal in your past, and if it's secret, that's why confession is so important, if it's secret, you like are living in solitary confinement, being a prisoner to your own memory. The enemy of your soul knows your weakness, he exploits them. Condemnation is the devil's native tongue. So you need to remember his grace, his pardon, and you need to forget, start forgetting your sin and your problem. See, I think Jesus is Lord of everything, which includes our memories, our minds, and he can help us with this guilt of getting past our past. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinketh, in this little pea brain under this bald head, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You tell me what you're thinking about God, and I'll tell you what you act like and believe about God. You tell me what you are thinking about all the time, and I'll be able to tell you how you are living out your life. So if you are in Christ, if Christ is in your mind, 
You are no longer defined by what you used to be. You're defined by who Christ says you are now. You are a new creation. That's why he says right here in Romans, there is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're free. You're a new creation. Now it does take some time and some training for your new nature to become your second nature. It takes discipline to say, you know what? I'm intentionally going to move past that because God forgive it. God forgot it. Why can I do it? It takes discipline to remember his grace and forget your sin. So you have to focus on what you know. Here's the key of getting rid of guilt, unholy shame or guilt in your life. You have to concentrate on what you know to be true, not what you feel is true. I know I'm forgiven. I don't feel that way because I know who I am. Your feelings, though, will lie to you. The devil gets in the feelings. God is in the head. Paul, the guy who wrote that verse we just read in Romans, there is now no condemnation. He was pretty much a spiritual terrorist until he had an encounter with Jesus on this dusty dirt road. Paul once called himself the chief of sinners. He could have allowed his sinful memories to hold him hostage, but he did not. He chose, and we need to as well, he chose not to play the highlight film of his life of doing wrong, but the highlight reel of the cross of Jesus on Calvary who did it right. So my question is, do you know if you have holy guilt today, that's a good thing? Or do you have unholy guilt, that's not a good thing? What's the difference? How do you know the difference between healthy and unhealthy guilt? Mark Batterson has written an excellent book called If. Some of my uh, material from today came from, he has some great lines in there. Here's how he defined the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is feeling guilty over already confessed sins. Conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sins. Conviction is healthy and holy and comes from the Holy Spirit. The voice of condemnation from the enemy is meant to discourage and disorient. Condemnation is that little voice in your head that keeps reminding you about what the Heavenly Father has already forgiven and forgotten. It all comes down to if, if you're going to remember and what you will remember. Look at this if passage over in 1 John 1, verse number 8. First uh, John, this little book of John is just such an awesome book. He talks about love throughout, and he gives some wonderful, helpful hints on overcoming guilt. Notice what he says, first of all, in 1 John 1, verse number 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. That's true. Everybody in this room has something to feel guilty legitimately about. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if, look at that, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So listen to me now. This is a novel concept for those of us who grew up in a legalistic, religion-based church. If you have confessed your sins, your record of wrongs is completely expunged. There is no double jeopardy with God. You can't like be tried twice for the same sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So does guilt if it's not right-sized or processed. 
The split second you confess your sin, a miraculous transaction occurs. All of your sin is transferred to Christ's bank account and paid in full, and the mercy bank is never closed. And here's the even better news. Not only is your sin forgiven, Jesus takes his enormous amount of credit and credits it to your account. So what if you turned, as Mark Batterson would say, what if you turned the voice of condemnation into the voice of conviction? So you had an affair. I get that. You hated someone. I get that. You had an abortion, a divorce. Welcome to grace. It's greater than your disgrace. If you got to be perfect to hang out here, nobody going to be here next week, including me. I don't know who you're going to get to preach for you. If you've done something wrong, welcome to the club. You stole something. You lied. You cheated. <laughs> Heard about this young man who was walking through Kroger to pick up a few things when he noticed this little old lady who was following him around. Thinking nothing of it, he ignored her, continued on. But when he got in the checkout line, this little old lady got in front of him real quick. Pardon me, she said, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry about staring at you. It's just that you look just like my son who I haven't seen in a long time. I, I'm sorry, the young man said. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, she said. As I'm leaving, could you just wave and say goodbye, mom? It would make me feel so much better. Sure, answered the young man. And as the woman was leaving, he called out, goodbye, mom. And she waved and blew him a kiss, stepped up with his two items to the checkout counter. Bill was $167. How can that be? I only got two things. Your mother said you pay for her, said the clerk. I just made that up. That's not a joke. But beware of a little old lady following you around Kroger. I'm telling you, in this room, I don't know everybody in this room, but in this room, there's some whopping sinful people. I'm telling you, I know. People confess stuff to me. I don't even want them to confess to me. But if it helps them with their healing, great. Now, don't be all of you saying, oh, wow, I can't wait to get with David this week and tell him. It says to confess your sins to each other so you'll be healed. So that's the value of community small group. So if you got a burden of guilt today, this is not a religion that stinks. This is a relationship that saves. And you can follow one of two paths. You can follow Psalm 38, 4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You can follow that. Or you can follow little John chapter 5, verse number 11. Remember, I read a verse on if in 1 John. This is the verse that when I stumbled on, it revolutionized my entire relationship with Jesus. It says here in verse number 11, listen to this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's the verse that changed my whole life. Growing up in a legalistic church. Not allowed to golf at Pebble Beach on Sunday morning. Had to hide your sin not confess your sin. I write these things to you who believe in the name of, God, of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things so you may know. Not so you could hope, I think. I, all of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I could do that. 
You can know. Notice it's in your mind. It's not on how you feel. It's on what you know. So if you have messed up and you think that God can't use you, you couldn't be more wrong in this room. Welcome to the club. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace here, friend. I say it all the time. We're, we're a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who will love anybody. That's us. So if that's the backstory of the guys that follow Jesus, you need to get over this perception of perfection that you're trying to maintain in your life. And we need to get over in the church that just because you're a Christian, you're going to get it right all the time. You cannot do anything. Listen to me. You cannot do anything to earn your salvation. You don't have to. It's a gift. You just accept the gift. If you earn it, it ain't no gift. You can't do anything to earn it, so therefore, guess what? You can't do anything to lose it when you're in relationship with him. You need to remember, and you need to forget. You need to remember the pardon. You need to forget your problem. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, David, how do you get in Christ Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to give you five fingers, not the finger. Okay, I'm going to give you five fingers. You believe in the name of Jesus. You repent, which means that's what the Bible talks about, feeling sorry in your heart. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You go all in with your faith through baptism. And by the way, we're having all in coming up in three weeks, April 7th. Two weeks from today, we got a class, March 31 at both hours. You can come to service and go to that class or go to class, come to service. It's going to be so good. But that all in, nothing magical about that water. It's the culmination. It's the outward expression of that grace upon grace that flows over your life. So believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and then you live a life of faithful relationship with him. But you're living life and do it. Listen to me now. Somebody asked me this week, it's a great question. Well, David, if all my sins are forgiven, I could like say, I'm going to go ahead and do that because God's going to forgive me. Oh, now you're imposing, you're presuming on the grace of God. That's not amazing grace. That's abusing grace. Nobody's really in love with a person. I'm going to go ahead and do it because I know they'll forgive me. Somebody said, well, why should I then obey? Why do I give? Why do I serve? Why do I live a righteous life? It's not to earn your salvation. It's to thank God for the salvation you've already got. Whole different driver. Whole different motive. Whole different way to look at your guilt. Oh, man, my guilt is forgiven. I'm still a sinner, but thank God for grace. It covers my disgrace. I want to every day do better, not because I'm not going to heaven, but to thank him for what I've already done. How could I not express that? This is how Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 puts it. Let us draw near to God. See, when you sin, you kind of pull away from God. Uh-uh. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty, there's our word, guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is that washing of pure water? It's the all-in experience. And friend, could I just say this? If Jesus, listen, if Jesus does not condemn us and judge us anymore, I'm pretty sure that we as Jesus' followers ought to be very careful when we start judging and condemning people, because we tend to judge people who are worse than us, not better than us. Haven't that funny how we always compare? Well, at least I'm not. Yada, yada, yada. Mm -mm. 
You're co- you should compare yourself against the perfect standard of Jesus. How you doing now? <laughs> Mother Teresa considers herself way, way far away from Jesus, just so you're sa- just saying. Even she recognized, because the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you realize, I don't qualify at all. Because when we start to judge people in an improper way, it produces guilt in a person's life. It produces guilt-driven and guilt-ridden churches. And it is a discouragement to people who are really messed up and they're just trying to get in and fit in in this religion slash relationship thing. Many here today are like my buddy, Greg Bumpus, golfing buddy. I want you to check out Bumpus's story right here. My name is Greg Bumpus. Um, one of the things I like to do is play golf. Um, I was a golf professional for five years uh, at Miami Whitewater in Harrison, uh, but now I, I bowl um, more frequently. So when I think of religion, um, I think of when I was a child. Um, you know, when it's the faith that's being driven down your, your throat and a lot of judgment. Um, so growing up as a child, you know, I always put, um, you know, pastors, preachers on, on pedestals that they could never do any wrong. Um, and I had to be this perfect example. So it was just more of a, something I was trying to achieve, um, something I was never gonna be. Um, and, and, and to me, the, the religion felt very siloed and, and alone. Since coming to Whitewater, you know, to me, it's more of a family. Um, you know, I, I enjoy coming to church and, and uh, being part of the groups. You know, I was in a men's group uh, where we'd meet on Thursday mornings and, and talk about life. And it was at that point that I realized that I, I don't have to be perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. Um, and these other men are going through the same struggles I am, whether it struggles with my marriage, my children, my, my work. You know, but it's good to have other men of faith and to share that experience. I run our golf league here for the church, um, you know, on Mondays, and inter- interacting with all those men, you know, it, it brings me joy and brings me peace. And then, you know, I can relate to others. I can share my experiences, and you know, it's, I'm not being judged. You know, my, a buddy of mine, lifelong friend, played baseball together. You know, got him to come to church, and um, you know, being able to go through that, and I actually was able to baptize him or help baptize him um, two all-ins ago. So sharing that experience with him, I mean, it's just, it's, it's great. Going through life together, knowing that it's okay to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and not be judged for it. You know, I ask myself all the time, why me, God? Why, why bless me this way? Um, you know, I'm not deserving. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Walt wasn't always the best man and, and, and father and, and husband, and, um, you know, I just think he's, he's blessed me and you know, shown me grace. So I think being a part of that and accepting God and, and just knowing that there's more to it. My name is Greg Bumpus. Um, one of the things I like to do is play golf. Um, I was a golf professional for five years. The Bumpus years. boys were uh, bad news back um, in the day. I'm telling you. I bowl. He'll tell you about um, it. More frequently. Until the day that Greg Bumpus got captured by a relationship with Jesus Christ. He stopped trying to earn it, and he started thanking God for it. He claimed the promises of John 3.16. Now listen, you may know this verse easily, John 3.16. A lot of fours in there. For God so loved the world, it says. And boy, we're four. God's for us. 
We're for you. We're for our schools. We're for our streets. March 31, by the way, Oak Hills uh, for our schools day. Man, a couple weeks, it's going to be great. If you go to Oak Hills, you know somebody teaches Oak Hills, they work for Oak Hills, come on. We are for people. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's one of our, remember, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, faithful in relationship. A lot of us know John 3.16, but listen to John 3.17, the next verse. For God, another four. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So the whole difference between condemnation and conviction. He didn't send him to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's a whole big difference here, friend, between religion and relationship. Because religion is all about condemnation, but relationship is about conviction and living in community. Can you all remember a time growing up when you really messed up and you knew eventually your parents were going to find out about it? Never happened to you? Oh, if I had time, I could tell you a whole bunch of stories. And depending on how dad and relationship you had with dad, that decided how you're going to tell him. And the same thing is true with your heavenly father. And let me just close with these two differences. Religion is kind of like this. I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Or relationship. I messed up. I need to call my dad. Some of your all's heavenly father perception was based on an earthly father that made you feel guilty and showed shame and not grace. I, I'm not a counselor. You need to probably work through that in your life. But quit comparing the dysfunctional relationships you might have had on earth with the functional relational relationship with Jesus and the Heavenly Father. It's all the difference, night and day. I'll close with this email that I got from someone just a couple weeks ago when we launched this series. Hi, David. When I saw the church sign last week, Religion Stinks, I started laughing. I looked at my husband and told him, I love this church. <laughs> I was raised in the Catholic church. I never understood what Jesus had done for me. When I started in a women's Bible study years ago, I finally understood what had happened on that cross. My heart broke in a hundred pieces as I understood the mercy and grace that was given to me out of pure love. I felt joy We'll talk about that next week. I felt joy for the first time in my life. I left that guilt of never being good enough at the foot of that cross. Thank you so much, David. You always preach the truth with love. I left my guilt at the foot of the cross. Friends, somebody in here is going to get free today of the guilt and burden you've been carrying. Jesus Christ, there is no sin you have committed that he cannot forgive. And the only reason we're gathered as a community is because we're all just like grace-filled people. Come join us, man. We're all messed up, jacked up, talked up. That's us. But we gather following the one Jesus who live in relationship with us and is going to take us to heaven because of his grace. Something to remember something to forget today. 
And if I could be a part, or our staff, or our counselors down front, our prayer team after we have prayer down here, or if you're new, go over here to the three-minute after thing over here. Rob and Chris, some folks will meet you over there. Take some step today toward this. And if we can be there to help you process this burden of guilt that you've been carrying, I need you to check that at the mercy counter in the terminal of God because you've been dragging that thing around forever and by the authority of Jesus Christ, I say your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. So if he has forgiven them, just a thought, why don't you forgive yourself? And you will find a better church, religion, relationship experience than you've ever had in your whole life because you're no longer trying to earn it. You're just thanking God for all the grace he showers up on you every day. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. Father, in this room, in this moment, we kind of stand on holy ground because I thank God your spirit is speaking to people. And maybe there are some people here for the very first time and they need to know the pathway of getting rid of their guilt. And it is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of our sin, to confess that he is Lord, to be baptized, and maybe in three weeks we're going to be one of the ones down in the water of all in. But then for the rest of us, Father, once we have believed and repented and confessed, we need to live that faithful life knowing, not feeling forgiven all the time, but knowing that your grace is greater than our disgrace. So help us to live faithful lives, thanking you for what you have already done. And I pray for each person here. I know what it's like, Father, for some of us to bear a load of guilt and shame that you didn't wire us to do. So I pray today might be a day when we would give that up and over finally to you and not listen to the lies of the evil one that our sin cannot be forgiven. So for the prayer teams, I pray, Father, folks would come. For new people, may they connect. And may we gather with you this week and come back again to hear more about this good news. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend.